I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. Hello and welcome. I'm here today on panel to discuss diabetes for lowering blood sugar. I'm really excited to interview Leslie and Lima. So Leslie Flannery is a registered dietitian and certified lactation counselor from Dayton, Ohio. She has spent the last six years working with pre and postnatal population. Leslie herself has two young boys and understands firsthand how overwhelming this new phase of life can be for women. She thought she had found her dream job working a maternal fetal medicine office, but soon realized there was an abundance of nutrition misinformation and lack of continued support with gestational diabetes. So she started her own private practice. In her private practice, Leslie teaches her clients that all foods fit while controlling blood sugars in pregnancy. Lemma Brown is a registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in diabetes nutrition and education. She graduated from West Virginia University with a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and foods and completed her dietetic internship and master's degree in nutrition from Meredith College in Raleigh, North Carolina. She now lives in Virginia with her family. Lama has lived with type 1 diabetes for over 15 years. Her own diagnosis sparked her interest in studying nutrition and pursuing it as a professional career. She is passionate about helping others with diabetes lower their A1C with a flexible, low-carb eating approach that easily fits into busy lifestyles. So happy to have you both. You have both been on air before for individual interviews, which is really fun. So happy to have you together discussing the important topic of diabetes and how you each practice your specialty and how you incorporate your marketing and sales strategies from social media. So I'm really excited to to dive in. So thank you for joining. So firstly, diabetes is a medical condition with a strict protocol. So as weight loss or weight neutral practitioners, and I do want you to both identify what that means for your unique position, how do you express the power of A1C reduction and still maintain sensitivity for mental health? Yeah. So I and particularly working with pregnant women that have gestational diabetes. So for me, they're not narrowed in on an A1C, but more of their immediate blood sugars after meals and particularly their fasting blood sugar. But it can still put a a big strain on their mental health. It creates a lot of anxiety. And, you know, it's not necessarily something that they have been dealing with for years and years and years, but I'm glad you said that weight neutral because that is the the stance that I take. I think just in general with diet culture, I think women have a lot of this food noise in their head and that doesn't automatically go away in pregnancy. So women aren't usually given the explanation of what's going on, what's causing this temporary condition in pregnancy. And a lot of them are made to feel like they are personally to blame for what's going on. And that the mental health piece there is like, now they're also worrying about the health of their unborn child, which is heavy. So yeah. Do you have any specific examples of a client or a scenario where you've seen that in practice that you can share with us? Yeah, it's about every client. 
to be honest with you, it is every client. And I would say, you know, okay, so I've had a client here recently where she said that she was just in tears after hearing her diagnosis and that her doctor said, well, it's because of your pre-pregnancy BMI. I'm sure you're just going to need to go on insulin, gave her a handout and that's it. And I think not all doctors, but I think sometimes doctors or other healthcare professionals can bring in their own bias when they're seeing patients. And so if there's this weight bias that they have, then they're going to just, I don't know, it seems like they're blaming their patients for their own condition and not taking the time to really explain to these women what's going on. And so she was just so beside herself, worried, afraid, anxious, didn't know what to do. You know, you go down that rabbit hole of Google trying to find answers. And yeah, so it definitely took a toll on her or her mental health. And then how was she able to kind of talk herself out of that? Was that part of what you do in your, your work with her and, and taking, a, as you've called it, a weight neutral approach to help her kind of calm down and, and come up with a solution? Yeah, for sure. So it's a lot of like unpacking some of their food noise that they have. You know, my main goal is to help them lower their blood sugars to have a healthy baby, but there's a lot of extra stuff that comes with that. So the support component is huge with my clients. Yeah. And I bet that they appreciate that you're able to give them the time that the physician or the healthcare team wasn't able to possibly give them when they were going through that treatment and learning about that approach. Exactly. It's like they need someone to be their advocate. And that's what I hope to do for all of my clients. Yeah. And then they can become their own advocate, right? Exactly. Beautiful. Anything you want to add to that, Lama, that you you think would be helpful? I do. I really agree with a lot of much of what Leslie was saying, especially the the part at the end that you talked about encouraging your clients to be their own advocates, because that's absolutely something I see in my clients who have type one diabetes and they're either preparing for pregnancy or they're currently pregnant. Because what I've seen with my clients is there's a lot of sometimes confusion between the different types of diabetes when it comes to pregnancy. Sometimes my clients, they're OB or their physician they're seeing will think that they have gestational diabetes and they don't necessarily understand the differences between type 1 diabetes and gestational. And sometimes they don't always know the questions to ask their provider and they don't always know when they can fight for themselves. So they're not always asking the questions that maybe they should in their visits. And then they go home feeling really overwhelmed and afraid and they struggle with certain things. And that's a lot of times why they come looking for me because they need that support piece. Like Leslie said, even if they don't really think they need it, they're going to the internet, they're going to Instagram and they're looking for someone who understands because they're not feeling very understood in their current situation with their, their healthcare, with their medical care. And that is absolutely having a big mental weight on them as well. And certainly I see a lot of the mental struggle in my clientele as well, because they're feeling very overwhelmed with type one diabetes by itself, but add pregnancy on top of that. They just, you know, they, they just feel very helpless sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have a specific example Lima, of a client, like a type one diabetic who was in that situation and you were able to help her become her own advocate, or at least walk her through any part of that journey, anything stand out off the top of your head? Yes, I have a couple of clients right now who are early in their pregnancy, and a lot of the things I'm going over with them are actually what to expect as far as 
what their blood sugars might do, what appointments might be coming up, how frequent certain appointments might be. This is information that's not always available. And unless, I know when I was pregnant, unless I knew how and how and what to ask about these certain things, I didn't find it out until it was well into my pregnancy and I added more stress. So I think it's really helpful that I've been able to prepare them so they're not feeling that stress, say if their blood sugar is dropping or their blood sugar is going up for unknown reasons, instead of feeling like it's their fault or feeling the blame from their healthcare team. Why is your blood sugar going up? What are you doing wrong? They're prepared for it. So they can feel a lot more relaxed. Yeah, that's incredible. So on this topic, uh, when we talk about a weight neutral approach, would you Leslie identified as that. Lima, would you also say you're weight neutral? Uh, How would you identify as a practitioner? Yes, I'd say because my niche area is type 1 diabetes and pregnancy, when it comes to pregnancy, it is absolutely normal for women to have weight gain during pregnancy. And it's not something that I, that I discourage. It's not some, I mean, excuse me, weight loss isn't something that I typically talk about with my clients. So I definitely take more of a weight neutral approach because weight changes in weight are going, are natural in pregnancy. And it's, I don't take a weight loss or typically we don't even discuss weight in my visits. It's more in my sessions. It's more that we're talking mostly about their blood sugar and their diabetes care. So weight is typically not even something we address. So I I definitely say that I take more of a weight neutral approach. Okay. And so if you are because of the, the life cycle and you focusing on pregnant women, Leslie, maybe you can help out with this one. Are there circumstances and situations where the women, your clients, are gaining weight too rapidly or not fast enough. And it obviously has to, there's issues and correlations with their blood sugar. And so what do you do in those particular situations? How do you, you know, maintain sensitivity, but also help make sure that they've got a healthy baby and then they're staying healthy as well. They're developing a healthy baby as well as, as they're, they're maintaining their level of health. Yeah, I would say I agree with Lemma. Generally, we, I am not talking about weight with the majority of my clients. Mm-hmm. But I can think of a client that I currently have who she came to me just very anxious and overwhelmed in general about the whole thing. And after our first session and going over ways to include some carbohydrate back into her diet, you know, she came to me, she's like, I gained three pounds. I'm so worried. Like, oh my gosh, I can't gain weight. And we just had the conversation that in pregnancy, weight is not linear. It, you might lose some weight in the beginning. You may gain some weight. You're growing a human. But I also encourage my clients to uh, maybe like zone out and look at the bigger picture if their weight gain, and some of them aren't gaining a lot of weight, and some of them maybe are gaining quicker weight, but if their blood sugars are in range, if their baby is growing in the right percentile, you know, they also have their amniotic fluid measured. So those are also huge wins. And I think you can't just look at a number on a scale and determine someone's weight. So that made her feel better. But again, it comes back to just that support of, you know, explaining this in in a way that maybe she's not hearing from her doctor. And it really did calm her down. So it sounds like both of you, your approach with pregnancy and diabetes is to make sure that you're complementing or providing that support that the medical team wasn't able to fully provide because you're giving more time and attention and sensitivity to a very you know, difficult time where there's high emotions and also a huge knowledge deficit, which causes women, especially during the time of pregnancy, very vulnerable to search and scour the internet and not know who to trust 
And then when they come across your services, they're able to feel comforted and fill that gap and that void of being rushed with a physician, not knowing what to expect, or as Lema said, planning those visits appropriately because of your, your ability to support them. Would you say that that's, that's appropriate? Yes. And so one, one thing that you do, Lema, is because you're type 1 diabetes in pregnancy, you're dealing with a different population as far as, I mean, talk to me about your, what you do and how you do it as far as the, the power of A1C reduction. How knowledgeable are the moms and the, the women that you're helping going into the pregnancy? Is it more education that you're helping them with or is it more mental health uh, component? What would you say is like the biggest barrier or struggle with your approach helping, helping women? I'd say it's definitely a mixture because most of my clientele, especially when they're preparing for pregnancy and they're coming to me because their A1C is greater than 7%, which for pregnancy, it's ideal that their A1C is less than 7%. And this has been kind of beaten into their head a little bit by their doctor. And that's a big reason why they're looking for support because they haven't been able to do this on their own. And so they're feeling a little bit defeated because they feel like maybe having type one diabetes for a significant amount of time, they should know what to do. But what has happened with all of us when we do something every day, sometimes our management slips a little bit. We just get really used to our regular habits. And so often what I'm finding out with many of my clients is they do need a, a little bit of re-education or nudging or fine tuning. And it really opens up their, their potential for how to manage their A1C. And they feel awesome. They feel great. They didn't realize how stale some of their skills had gotten. And that really lifts their mental state because they, they've come to me, like I said, feeling sort of defeated, feeling like I just can't get this A1C down. I don't know what I'm going to do. We've made a few tweaks with food, scheduling, maybe pre-bolusing, which is taking your medicine before your meal by just making sure that that is really accurate. And they feel much more confident and empowered about their management. So then they're feeling a lot more confident for preparing for pregnancy. And that's that's exactly our goal. That's exactly why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing is to make them feel a lot more confident. Yeah, that's, incredible. The next step. that's incredible. And I think that's so relatable as far as, oh, they had uh, maybe gotten a little bit stale and there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. Because I think it's easy to assume, well, if you have type one diabetes and you've had it most of your life, then you should be prepared going into pregnancy. Again, I'm not, I'm saying I could understand how someone might feel like their ego is in the way of their ability to ask for help. And so once they hear their numbers are high, they're probably very frantic and disappointed in themselves, which is why it's more important than ever that they have your support to help just make those tweaks so that they can get back on track and just stay current in a situation like pregnancy, especially if it's their first, and obviously even second or third or plus because they just never experienced that with their diabetes. Exactly. Anything you want to add to that, Leslie, as far as any kind of stories or experiences with your particular market? Yeah, I think, you know, keto is really hot right now. So I think kind of along the lines of what Lemma was saying a little bit, and my, my clients typically haven't lived with this for very long, but let's be real, a lot of people think that they're <laughs> experts in nutrition. And if they have been doing keto or they've heard that carbs are bad and then all of a sudden their blood sugars are high, the carbs are to blame. So they think they know what they're doing, but by the time they get to me and I kind of explain it and walk them through it and, and give them recommendations, they're like, oh, really? I mean, they're just amazed at what they were doing and why it wasn't working. So that support piece is huge. 
Yeah, the support and also the, the right type of person who is willing and receptive to learn because with all the misinformation out there, especially with keto, I'm, I'm just wondering how receptive are your clients to wanting to make a change because it would make your jobs as practitioners so much more seamless if they're really appreciative, but are they often or, or ever combative? Yeah, I've had a couple that really are just like almost don't want to trust what I'm saying. Like this can't be true. This can't be true. And, and it takes some, some work. It takes, like I said, some undoing of what they've learned or what they've been told. And you know what, maybe keto worked fine for them before, but now that they have these pregnancy hormones fighting against their um, insulin, it's just, it's not anything necessarily they're doing wrong, but it changes things. So it takes some work and there's one in particular, it's like, you know, this is progress, not perfection. I can't expect you to, to rework the way you're eating and all of your habits and all of your lifestyle in one day. So yeah, be hard on yourself. Right. And I mean, human beings are complex, right? So we have right. a situation, take their learning style and, and ask better questions to our clients and find out what the true underlying issue is as to why they might be receptive enough to work with us, but then combative for the solutions that we agree on, right? That's part of the, the problem solving when it comes to, to working with clients. It's, it's the beauty and the challenge, right? Yeah. Wonderful. So when it comes to A1C, I wanted to ask a couple follow-up questions with that. Um, earlier, Leslie, you mentioned that there's other indicators that can help your clients kind of stay on track outside of just A1C in general. So how else do you help your clients stay on track if they don't immediately see progress and a decrease in their A1C, assuming that that's obviously, that's what you both do is reduce their, their higher um, A1C. So how do you help them along that journey when they don't immediately see the A1C lower? Yeah, I, I can think of one particular client I had and it's really hard in pregnancy to lower the fasting blood sugars. I will be honest. It's every client struggle of mine. And, you know, I tell them I, I can't control your hormones. I can't control your insulin, but we will work on diet. And so it, it can be frustrating to make changes and then not see that number go down. But I had a particular client who was so excited to share with me that at her most recent ultrasound that the baby was looking perfect as far as percentile had come down from where he or she was. And the doctor was so impressed. So she just, I mean, that's huge. And I'm like, okay, see it, it is working. You have to see sometimes the growth and change. And again, it's not just the blood sugar. One bad blood sugar isn't going to wreck the whole pregnancy. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Lemma, as far as other indicators to help moms along the way? I love that story, Leslie. That was, that was really nice. Yes. Yes, that's excellent. Yes, I agree. I agree with what Leslie was talking about with the fasting blood sugars. It's the very same struggle in women who have type 1 diabetes in pregnancy that fasting below 100, I feel like, is brought up pretty much at every single visit. And it feels almost impossible for some people. I, I remember feeling the same way, like I'm never going to see that number. And something else that some doctor's offices and I tend to use more with my clientele is certainly those numbers are important, that fasting blood sugar less than 100. But like Leslie said, looking at everything from a big picture is crucial because it's not that one blood sugar. It's not going to unravel everything, all of the good progress you've made. And also I tend to talk, many of my clientele uses CGM technology or continuous blood glucose monitoring technology, which is incredibly helpful because we have much more information to go off of. So we tend to use the time and range feature, which is greater than 70%. You're staying within a particular range for your blood sugars 
And that feels a lot more achievable for my clients. And they tend to do much better with that information rather than you need to have your fasting blood sugars at less than 100 every single day because that feels almost impossible. And it just puts all of this stress on them and they can't focus on everything else with their pregnancy. And they're, they're just really, they just really perseverate on these fasting numbers. And then like Leslie said, then they don't necessarily focus on your baby is growing at the right, at the right rate. You know, your weight is stable. The baby's weight is exactly where it needs to be because many type one women are afraid their babies are going to be too large during pregnancy. So they just, they get really nervous about these myths and fears and it's hard for them to like kind of see the forest through the trees sometimes. Yeah, totally. So the techniques that you use are incorporating technology. And if they don't have that, then having a conversation about the big picture and just reminding them that along the journey, other metrics are going to improve. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. Okay. That's helpful, especially for a mom who's feeling really frantic and mentally exhausted. So I'm sure she appreciates that. And I'm also wondering, and in the healthcare setting, are physicians or are you aware as the team during prenatal care, are they also stressing numbers outside of A1C or are they really just focusing, are they looking at the big picture or would you know and how do you know um, kind of what's going on in that angle? Because that's where they're getting all their care. So it's a luxury that they get to work with you. So what are most women kind of getting the focus on? I have found it's really very different office to office. And certainly Leslie, I'm sure has opinions on this as well. Many women, their offices will focus on their endocrinology office might focus more on the time and range numbers, but their OB-GYN office, or if they go to like a, a maternal fetal medicine clinic, will focus more on the fasting numbers and the A1C. So sometimes there's some confusion, like who should I listen to? Who is the specialist that I should listen to over everyone else? So that can be pretty difficult of figuring out, you know, what numbers are the ones I should pay attention to. So I have to navigate that as well. Usually I'm the one kind of playing referee, like, okay, okay, let's calm down a little bit. We have a lot of numbers. Let's focus on the ones that really matter the most. And that, like we were talking about before, that's where that support really comes in. Let's, let's work on your mindset. Let's calm it down a little bit. There's a lot of information, but we're really what matters the most, you know, out of all of these people and all of this information because these women are incredibly sensitive to all of the information being thrown at them. And sometimes it's way too much. So I'm usually the one to take all of the information and give it back to them in a way that they can feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more at ease. Anything to add to that, Leslie? Yeah, like Lemma said, I, the clients that I see, it varies. So, you know, some of them have great care and their doctors are really including them and explaining things all along the way. Unfortunately, I probably tend to see more of the opposite of that, and that's probably why they're reaching out to me to get more support. But, you know, I, I definitely know that doctors are telling them, like, we're going to be checking baby's size. Um, we're looking at the overall picture. Most doctors are looking at trends. So I also try to stress that, too. Like, if you have one high number after dinner or one high fasting, that does not make a trend. But again, like, you know, we we're talking about it stresses them out and stress also plays a role in their blood sugar management. So that is a huge chunk of what we talk about too, or stress reducing ways to, to calm things down. So I'm, I'm curious from a policy standpoint, if we look at the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics and what they recommend, example, let's just say uh, for juice guidelines, right? For how many ounces you can have at a certain age and recommendations, it's pretty cut and dry. Same for breastfeeding recommendations, exclusive is recommended below six months, et cetera. 
are there not specific strict guidelines for what numbers to, to look at for diabetic care for, for prenatal? Or is that, is that not set? Is that not being applied and enforced? Like what is this the, this would be over the Di- American Diabetes Association or would this be like the maternal health guidelines, WHO? Like what, where's the disconnect I'm not understanding? Yeah, you know, and honestly, I'm not understanding either. I think it comes from ACOG. I think so too. And I'm seeing people all over the country the world and their number there it's close but I've heard under 90 under 95 under 100 for fasting so it is not the same and I for one hour after or two hours after it's not uniform and it's not the same so I'm, I'm not sure why that is okay and what does ACOD stand for American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology yep anything to add to that Loma Yes, I agree with Leslie. I think usually the recommendations, well, at least in the United States, are from ACOG. And I believe those recommendations are what we were talking about a little bit before, under 100 for fasting, and then 70 to 140 is the general range, and then less than 140 an hour after eating, less than 120 two hours after eating. But like Leslie said, there's a lot of room with these recommendations, because I think those are the set recommendations, but each, each doctor, each office, and like Leslie said, different countries are going to have different measurements. So certainly it's easy to use these measurements, but if not everyone's using them or they're causing confusion, then it makes things really difficult. Absolutely. And how does that affect either one of your practices or your action plan if you're not in connection with a doctor or physician, or are you? I'm not in connection with their doctors, but I... And I don't, with my marketing, I never pinpoint a specific fasting number for that reason because it might be different for each person, but we use their goals. So I ask them what their targets are and then we work within that parameter. So wonderful. How I handle it. Yeah. Okay. And anything else either one of you want to add about diabetes in regard to gestational diabetes, type one diabetes and pregnancy, any other examples you think would be relevant or should we move on to the marketing piece? can't think of anything. So. Okay. All right. So we've already talked about this individually. Uh, you've both been interviewed on air, but given the more in-depth conversation we both had, we just had about the type of care that you provide for your clients. Anything you want to add about how you market this or, or briefly recap the evolution of how you've been able to market who you help now? Because both of you have really clear ideal clients and really clear outcomes that you're helping women with during a really important time, meaning it's profitable, it aligns with both of you, um, you feel good about it. So can you break down a little bit about how, how this has been translated? Yeah. When I first started, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I think typical dietitians, we know all of this information and you just want to like word vomit it and give it all to them. And so, you know, misinformation is huge with my clients. You know, they think maybe keto is the way to go, but it's really not. So I I started my marketing really focusing on misinformation and what they should be eating. But over time, I have found that that support component is the thing that they want. They need support. So I've really kind of changed my marketing to include a lot more of those support type posts and and content around support. And I've started to listen better. So, you know, again, it goes back to like, I know the answers, I know the answers, but if that's not what they're looking for, or that's not what they're needing, maybe they don't want to know how many carbs are in fruit. Maybe they just want support and someone to listen to and give them ideas. So I really take what they say to me and I use their words back. And that has been very helpful. 
incredible. And what, what helped you kind of go through that process fairly quickly to use their words back? Was there some kind of like a practice you implemented? Was that through sales calls or just through your content revision? Like what tangible step do you have for the, the listeners on that? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing I struggle with at all in my own private practice is the sales calls and, and listening. So I'm getting better at it. It's still always a work in progress, but asking those open-ended questions and why is the fasting number important to you? And why don't you want to go on insulin? Because I, I think, well, I, I assume I know why they wouldn't want to do that, but actually each one of their reasons is a little bit different. So I have to ask the questions. This is great, Leslie. And what have you noticed from asking and giving yourself permission to allow everybody to be unique in their response and you to engage in a deeper dialogue with them? What have you been able to notice with this shift? Assuming before you maybe asked more close-ended questions or you didn't go as deep. What has that done for your clients or, or the, the, the leads if they don't all become clients on the sales? Yeah, it's made things a lot more personal. Because before I was just trying to make it a one size fits all type of approach, but one woman might not want to do insulin because she can't then have the birth that she had planned for herself. And another one might not want to do it just because she's afraid of shots. So I can't assume that two different women have the same reasoning behind not wanting to go on to insulin. So it's really been transformative for me. So just to take it one step further, when you say transformative, you're asking them a question, you're gathering the unique answer, and then what are you doing to kind of close the loop? Yeah, so I ask them, how would it feel if we were able to, you know, control your blood sugars with diet alone, you didn't have to go on insulin, and you could have the birth that you wanted. And then it's just like a light bulb moment, like, yeah. Solid. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that with the listeners. I know that's a, that's a great little nugget there. Yeah. And anything, Lemma, that you want to add to that uh, as far as your, your marketing journey? I, I love the example with sales calls, asking deeper and then connecting the dots and, and really individualizing those conversations is, is key. Yes. I feel like when I was starting out in this niche area, I was pulling from my own experiences more and kind of gauging my creating my content based on that. But as I started engaging more with my target audience, I realized that, like Leslie was saying, not everyone is the same. Not everyone has the same struggles. Not everyone felt the same way I did. And a trend that I noticed early on with many direct message conversations I had with some women were that the fears component is really was the driving force for them to even reach out to me. They have these big fears when it comes to pregnancy with type one diabetes. So like Leslie said, support is a huge piece with my market, even though they won't always admit it, which is kind of funny because I can see that really the reason they're reaching out to me is the support piece. They think it's more that they need the nutrition education. But once I get to talking with them, either over direct message or on sales call, it's more the support piece. They really need someone to coach them through this situation to certainly give them the tools they need, but really just be kind of a listening ear to help them, you know, just navigate each week as it changes and everything that's coming up with their blood sugars. So that's definitely something I've noticed with my clientele and how I try to gauge my marketing. Okay. I definitely have a follow-up question about gauging marketing. Do you have a specific example, um, maybe for instance, since earlier we spoke about women with type one that have high A1Cs need some brushing up. They might have a little bruised ego because they realize that they've been practicing and following with their targets and then they get pregnant and they have to revisit or revamp some things. So what you're saying makes sense. And if I'm connecting the dots correctly, they know the information, but they need some help applying it. And you there 
as their leader and mentor helps them keep accountable, even if misinformation is a part of the puzzle, but it's more of that consistency with you being there and giving them the time and space to share their feelings as they're going through this really big transformative experience in their life with the disease, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Do you have any specific example of how you've been able to do that? And maybe somebody was more aware with using advanced technology and they had a party to go to and they just wanted to kind of know you were there to keep them accountable, something like that. Yes, I do. Cause I check in with my clients each week and I, I do know from a couple of them that they have said that they've enjoyed having that connection with me because they've never had that before with a diabetes nurse or a diabetes educator. They would always just follow up at visits and they enjoy having that weekly check-in time because small situations will come up like that. Like I have one client who is a very busy working professional and she has events that she has, even with COVID has to attend every couple of weeks and they always have different food and she's never really sure about carb counting and she's really trying to keep her blood sugars in a specific target range. So we can have that conversation ahead of time. So she feels more prepared and that's not something that she's ever been able to have before. I love that. And that's something she wouldn't be able to get in the standard care from the checkups with the diabetes educator, but she gets that with your services because you, you provide that higher level of accountability, which is, which is really important. So, and then when you mentioned one other follow-up question, because I love Leslie's example was really clear and specific with sales. Now you had mentioned something about how this experience of identifying support is something they want more. And you didn't initially realize that. How does that translate, if at all, to your marketing content to draw in more people and help serve them? How do you translate support as a pain point for your ideal clients into your messaging on social media? How does that shift your content? So I often, with like certain support content, I often will take a specific fear or a specific piece of information that a client, a current client or a potential client on a discovery call has shared with me because I feel like it's something that can also be marketed to a larger group. And I'll, I'll often share that in my content, either through um, usually sometimes I'll talk about it on a story, but usually I'll, I'll, I'll create content based on that on my feed. And typically I've found that I do receive a lot more engagement and also comments that I see that other women have said, yes, I feel the same way. Yes, I'm glad I saw this today because I'm exactly feeling this the same way about my blood sugars or something like that. Yeah. And it's always easy for us to take a look at what's happening now and forget about how hard it was to get here. So before you have this clear way of articulating how you communicate the important work that you do, can you reflect on the situation that helped you get to where you are now? For example, maybe you identified that comparing foods didn't do as well on social as saying a statement or talking about a vulnerable experience that one of your clients had from having more support or a deeper level of accountability. Is that like, do you have any examples such as that? Oh, for me? Yeah. For your ability to transform your marketing into something more clear now that you've identified that uh, support is more kind of takes the forefront. Did I yeah. interpret that correctly? Yes. I feel like if I've talked about my own journey, especially on my stories with a particular situation, like in my pregnancy, I dealt with a lot of issues with high blood sugar later in pregnancy, which is something that's very common that occurs with other women with type 1 diabetes because insulin resistance can kind of take hold later in pregnancy. And usually, I, if I do talk about my own personal experience, that is something that I often get more engagement with and more connection because they see me as a mutual person just like them. I'm not 
I don't put myself on a pedestal. I'm not a perfect person with diabetes. I certainly relate to their situation. And I do see that with that, they can see me not only as a resource, but someone who can relate to them, relate to their frustrations, relate to their fears, relate to their stresses, because I've absolutely been there. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that, that vulnerability does connect with your market. Do you have any stories like that, Leslie, similar or along the same kind of path? As far as like transforming my marketing or... Either that or what Lemma had said about relating to her audience, maybe, you know, because there's something that you have children or something about your line of work that makes them feel that they're safe and comfortable with you the way that Lemma shares she's not a perfect diabetic. And obviously people like that because it doesn't exist. So it's very an attractive quality and a service provider. Right. Yeah. I mean, I didn't personally have gestational diabetes, so I don't necessarily connect on that level, but I am a mom and I've been doing this for six years now, almost seven years working with the prenatal and postnatal population. And it is truly where my heart is. And I, I just connect so much because I just remember being pregnant, especially the first time you don't know necessarily what's right. You're getting all of this information. You're not quite sure. And it's just because it's you, you know, like I had a client the other day tell me, yeah, my husband wants to be supportive, but he's like, oh, it's just a number. And all the weight is put on the woman, right? So she's the one carrying the baby. Just in in general, there's just, I don't know, I just feel like there's a lot of noise in women's head in general. And it's a super vulnerable time. And I want to be that person that listens to you that knows what you've what you're going through that empathetic ear I just have such a big heart for this stage of life so yeah I I definitely try to bring that across in my marketing in my stories I try to be relatable in my stories I I am in no makeup I've just worked out I have my kid you know I so I'm a mom just like you And, and and that's and that's so helpful I just want to go back to one thing you said because it aligns with my values and that's supporting women. And you had mentioned that helping women through this time, maybe their partner or even people in their lives, if they don't have a partner might not understand uh, the importance of this process. Can you speak a little bit more about helping women and how important it is to have them have proper care during this time and have access to the resources that aren't going to brush them off? Is that something you feel passionate about on a deeper level, just beyond diabetes and helping a woman? Yeah, I really do. And almost deeper than just nutrition in general, because I feel like as women, we're told to, you know, not listen to our intuition. We are told to quiet our voices. We are told to take a backseat to men in general. And so I think, you know, maybe not every woman aligns with that same way of thinking, but being pregnant and being in that vulnerable situation, I want you to be an advocate for yourself, whatever that means. It might not align with me. Like, but that's okay. I want you to speak up for you. And I just, I want women to know that they have power within themselves to be the mom that they want to be. So they, they can be pregnant and do the things that they want to be. That's okay for them. They can speak up at their doctor's appointments. They can change doctors if they're not happy with the care they're getting. So really powerful underlying why as to, you know, why you do what you do. So thank you for sharing that. That's really, really special. And I think that that obviously comes across in the work you do and your ability to attract women and help them with such an important topic. Anything you want to add to that, Lemon? Yes, I completely agree with Leslie. That's, that's actually a big topic that I discuss with my clients as well, because 
I know when I was pregnant and it was my first pregnancy. So I just kind of took all the information. And like Leslie said, it felt like a lot of noise in my head. And I didn't always feel confident asking the questions that I really wanted to or challenging um, my doctors when I didn't feel like a decision was really right for me. And when it comes to diabetes and pregnancy, a lot of times women are pushed around into maybe early inductions or being told that they can't manage their blood sugars or their insulin through labor and not even given that opportunity. And things are always on the table. Everything is always up for discussion. You don't have to do anything that your doctor is telling you to do. You can always talk about it. And like Leslie said, if you're not happy with your care, I definitely encourage moving on to other options if they're, if they are available. And just, I do encourage that with my clients because I definitely felt a little bit pushed around. And now that I, now that I know a lot more, if there's a second time or a third time for me, who knows, I definitely will be a bigger advocate for myself, but certainly I really push that on my clients because sometimes they don't feel like they can ask those questions. My doctor knows best. It's like, no, actually, you know yourself best. You've had diabetes X number of years. You know your body. You're the expert. So make sure that you put yourself in that position. Really powerful. And do either one of you, as we wrap up, just because I'm loving how deep this conversation is going beyond diabetes and really just having, helping women be an advocate for themselves. Any specific examples, small or big, could be a woman changing a, a provider or switching something in her kind of on her trajectory, on her path in pregnancy. Do you have any examples of how women have advocated for themselves while working in your private practice? I had a client, a former client who came to me and she was one that was actually really rigid with her diet, wasn't eating a lot of carb. And I had recommend that she did. But she had been seeing a doctor who told her to do intermittent fasting and start a keto diet. And she was like, I am starving. I don't feel like this is right for myself. She just didn't feel good about it. And although once we started working, it was hard, but she had all of that noise in her head. And I'm like, you can find a different a different doctor. So she actually ended up going back to the OB that she saw in her first pregnancy, who she felt really comfortable with. So I'm like, yeah, that, that's what it's about. I mean, don't live in misery. You should take care of yourself. This is, you're pregnant with your baby. You need to do what's best for you. What a huge accomplishment to have her advocate for herself, knowing that you talk that out with her and have her feel more aligned with the care she's getting. That's, yeah. I mean, what more could you want than that, Leslie? Right, yeah. That's really, really special. Thanks. Anything you want to wrap up with that, Mama? Yes, I had a similar conversation with a client who brought up some concerns with me about managing in her birth plan, she wanted to be able to at least be given the opportunity to continue to wear her continuous blood glucose monitor during labor and continue to wear her insulin pub during labor if it was appropriate, if she was still able to, because of labor pains, still able to manage her blood sugars and her insulin, she wanted to be able to be given the opportunity to do that. Every doctor and hospital is different with this kind of management plan. But I told her, I was like, it's really, but it's a conversation that you should at least have with your physician. You don't have to be backed into a corner and told that you have to be on an insulin drip. The nurses are going to check your blood sugars every couple of hours. You don't have to just say that's the only way. So she did let me know that she was able to have a conversation with her doctor about her concerns. And her doctor was very, very open to letting her provide her own management as it was appropriate. And they would revisit it during her labor, depending on how she felt and how she was able to manage her blood sugars and her insulin during labor. They would intervene if they felt like it was needed, but that was a conversation they were able to have rather than her feel like she just had to 
be on an insulin drip and have someone else manage her care during labor. She just felt like that was the automatic have to, but she felt more empowered to have that conversation, which I thought was really important. And I was really proud of her. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be really rewarding work as well for you to be there as, as you said, as a supporting practitioner, and then to see her actually follow through and advocate, it must feel really special for you. It did. Yeah. It felt great. And when you were working in clinical, did you have anything similar to that as far as did you feel that you were able to advocate for people in the same way and now you're able to do it in your private practice? Or did you feel that you might have not even been able to do that previously or you didn't even think about it? I felt like I did in clinical. I mean, some of my clinical skills still do shine through sometimes in private practice because I've always I've always been a big patient advocate. I think because I've had my I've had diabetes for so long and I've felt like I've always had to advocate for myself. So I've always done that for the clients and patients I've worked with. And I've certainly, and I used, I was a critical care dietitian. So I, I used to always get in the doctor's business about micronutrients and TPN and, and certain IV fluids. And I mean, they used to like hate me coming, even though I'm kind of a soft spoken person. I just, I can't have my patients not taken care of. And it's the same for my diabetes clients as well. I just feel like they deserve everything that's available to them. That's fantastic. So looking back, how was advocating for patients different in clinical than it is now in your private practice, if at all, given that you were able to advocate for them then, but now you're able to do it a little bit more specifically, or or is it different? Or is it just that you're able to carry it on in your own business and be your own boss? I feel like it's similar. I just feel like I'm able to carry it on in my own private practice, but it feels a little bit more rewarding because in clinical, because I worked in critical care, sometimes I felt like I had to be that advocate because the patient I was seeing was maybe on a ventilator and they couldn't speak for themselves. And that's why I felt like I had to advocate for them. But it's nice having the conversation with the client and having more of a back and forth about what they, what's really important to them and what they're, what they're really wanting to get out of our sessions, but also out of their situation. So that's a lot more rewarding, I think. Yeah. So, so if I were to kind of recap what you said, your ability and your role and helping them goal set helps you deepen the relationship so they can learn how to advocate for themselves and you can teach them those life lessons on a really more impactful level for these clients during a really important time in their life, like delivering a baby. Yes, absolutely. And that must feel incredible. It does. I just, I love the area, the niche area I've switched to. It just fits very well. That's great. Thank you for sharing your story. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. Okay. If you could just remind everybody where to find you on social and thank you again. It's been really uh, rewarding interviewing you on, on air. Thank you for the opportunity. I am on Instagram and my handle is at t1d.pregnancy.nutritionist. I'm at gestational.diabetes.nutrition. Excellent. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at libbyrothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.